you and me No matter how they toss the dice It had to be The only one for me is you And you for me So happy together Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And our movie today is sort of a special case because this is a movie that I had not seen in over 30 years. I could kind of forgot about it. And I have a couple, there's a couple of hosts that I know just through the internet, through Facebook that I've always wanted to be on the show, on the show. And I just am trying to figure out a movie for them to come on. And uh, for my host for this one, I said, so pick a movie from the eighties or from your childhood that you remember that you like. And he said, how about Ernest goes to camp? And I'm like, wow, I never even considered that movie. It's one that I remember seeing in 1987. I saw it in the theater, and it's one of these movies I was not expecting much because it looks silly and stupid, but I remember thinking, that was actually pretty good. And when he brought it up, I'm like, you know, let's. I'm very curious how this movie would hold up. I'd love to see it again. Again, I haven't seen it since 1987. I was curious seeing it as a 40-year-old now if I would still like it, and I was pleased to see that I actually did like this movie. It actually holds up pretty well, and uh, my initial instinct when I was 13 years old held up. So I'm very pleased we'll be talking about, again, the 1987 comedy Ernest Goes to Camp, the debut of Ernest P. Worrell in movie. This was his first movie. And my co-host today, again, this is a movie he suggested. He is a podcaster, wannabe comedian, pop culture guy. I've known him through Facebook for years. I've always wanted to get him on the show just because I think we'd have a lot in common. And so I want to welcome to welcome him to Staff Picks. Welcome, Jeremy Zare. Uh, thanks for having me, Mario. I'm a big fan, uh, big fan of the Funny 115, uh, Survivor, and all that other stuff. So it's, it's uh, very exciting to be on Staff Picks today. Excellent. And I'm finally glad we get to meet after all these years of only knowing each other through Facebook. Yeah, and jokes. Lots and lots of jokes. <laughs> now, you are a, a pop culture guy. Like, uh, I've seen you just throw out random movie quotes and stuff. So you and I, I think, are probably very similar people, correct? Yes. I, I grew up in front of the television. Um, I pretty much just never stopped watching TV. So I've, I acquired a lot of uh, useless garbage in my head uh, as I as I as I've grown up. And uh, and I've, I haven't really found a way to monetize it except uh, except just, you know, either getting me close to fired at work or uh, just, you know, making people laugh around me that might might get it or might not, which is even funnier. OK, well, uh, fill us in a little on your backstory. Like, I know you podcast as well. Like, what do you do? Who are you? Give people a little background about yourself. Well, I grew up in uh, in northern, northern New York uh, near the Canadian border. So I got a lot of Canadian TV and then I also got American TV. And uh, just I, I didn't I didn't do a lot outside as a kid. I was kind of nerdy. I read a lot of books. I wrote and then I uh, just fell in love with movies and TV, went to school for film and realized that I was too poor to be a filmmaker and uh, ended up uh leaving school after about a year and a half and bouncing around from job to job. And now I work in uh, access services for a large academic organization in Rochester, New York. So I, uh, that's what I do now. I'm married. I have four kids and I try to uh, try to teach my kids some of the good stuff that sort of informed my humor. And, and that's where this movie sort of came in. Okay. Babe, that's good because you already answered my next question, which was Jeremy, why the hell are we doing an earnest movie on staff picks? 
Let me tell you, you know, it, it is funny you mentioned how it holds up. I watch this movie probably once a year, at least during the summer. Uh, it's it's kind of a summer goof off movie I can watch with my family, which is uh, one reason it's not there's, there isn't anything offensive about it except for its horrible portrayal of Native American culture. But uh, it's it's a fun movie for kids, and and I can appreciate it because it seems smart in a lot of ways, even though it's dumb. And uh, and there's a lot of gravitas to how Jim Varney portrays Ernest, and it's really the only this one and Ernest Saves Christmas are the only two where. Ernest is given a lot of uh, uh, room to move from being just a dumb guy. He's got a lot of seriousness to him in some ways. And uh, he's given a little room to act, too, which is where, where it makes you appreciate Jim Varney more if you watch these movies instead of, you know, dumb movies like Ernest in the Army. <laughs> I, I believe you're probably the first person to ever use the word gravitas when describing Ernest P. Worrell. Uh, probably somebody in a grad level... Uh, film class has tried to explain the uh, importance of the Ernest films or was challenged to do it and use the word gravitas in the paper. But uh, yeah, maybe I am the only one who's used that word describing uh, Ernest. <laughs> now, we have a lot of younger listeners on staff picks that may not know this movie or Ernest as well as you and I do. So do you want to perhaps give people a little history on who Ernest is and why he became a big movie star? Well, Ernest really started as a, uh, well, you got to start with Jim Varney. Mm -hmm. um, Jim Varney started that he was an actor um, throughout the 70s. He actually was on a TV show with Johnny Cash for a while, um, did some work on uh, another really, really esoteric show that I remember watching vaguely. I couldn't tell you details uh, called Fernwood Tonight. Uh, oh, he I was didn't, on I didn't that show. Yeah, yeah. He played. A, I don't know what character he played, but a when he was on there, apparently I saw that on Wikipedia and it shocked me. So he's he was around for a long time, but he never really got like any traction until Ernest. And what happened with Ernest was he he started as sort of a uh, mascot for like a grocery store or something, and he played Ernest doing a bunch of different things. He he would sell milk. He would sell like a bunch of different stuff all over the country. They basically license him out to anybody. He, he wanted to make some money and he made money doing it. And somebody decided, you know what, this guy is a movie character. And so they wrote the movie, Ernest goes to camp. And it was the first one that he did and um, spun off into TV. He did a TV show for about a year, I think called Hey Vern, it's Ernest, which was basically a uh, gosh, it's really hard to describe. He, it was almost a, it was almost like SNL for kids for a year. And he played a bunch of different characters on the show, um, had a couple of guys that were in uh, Ernest Goes to Camp. Uh, the gentleman who played the cook, his name escapes me, but he was on that show frequently. I think he was a writing partner of uh, Jim Varney for a while. Uh, and he won a daytime Emmy for that. So, I mean, obviously uh, Jim Varney was doing something right. And you might recognize him, especially the younger viewers, as the original voice of Slinky the Dog from uh from the toy story movies so that's really where you'd know ernest from if you were under the age of i say 25 you wouldn't really know him for ernest okay yeah that's that's an excellent summary you you basically said everything i wanted to say so that's well done but there's a, a couple other things i wanted to add here just because i'm really glad you brought up that jim varney played a lot of characters other than ernest yeah now this isn't all that well known i only learned this about a year or two ago now some people may know this but Jim Varney 
was, I mean, some would argue he was one of the most talented comedians working in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Like, he was a big deal, and it's a shame in a way that he was only known for Ernest. Have you heard about his extensive back history? Well, I, I've read a little bit um, about how he did some stand-up, and he, I think he worked at a theme park and uh, worked outside of uh, the Grand Ole Opry for a while, mm-hmm. and he did some stand-up, things like that. He really had, you know what, it, he could have been like a Steve Martin kind of guy if uh, if he didn't get pigeonholed into the Ernest character. I think um, he did some acting afterwards that wasn't just Ernest. He did uh, uh, Beverly Hillbillies. He played Jed Clampett. But um, I think he did some serious stuff too, but you didn't really see it because it was always smaller or uh, no one really noticed it because everybody he's always earnest. And and to me, you know, if you think about it, you have to be really smart to play dumb, which is uh, sort of – which, you know, was best probably described in a horrible way by uh, Robert Downey Jr. in uh, – in, I'm forgetting the movie. It Traffic was the movie Thunder. with – Tropic Thunder. Yeah, you had because obviously Ben Stiller's character was not very smart and he tried to play a character who was mentally uh, challenged and it didn't work. But uh, if you have a guy like Jim Varney, who was obviously very intelligent, he played a very dumb guy well. And you saw that in other guys like uh, James Best, who played Roscoe P. Coltrane on Dukes of Hazard. He uh, he was Shakespearean trained. I think the gentleman who played Boss Hogg was as well. And they played two buffoons and they did it really well. And but they were serious actors. And same with Jim Varney. Uh, he was a serious actor, but he also had a lot of comedic uh, uh, bona fides, I guess you'd call them. Yeah, I will. I will fill that in even more because there's it's, it goes, even higher. Yeah, it goes even higher than that. Like. Jim Varney, I was reading a thing when he came out of high school. I think he's from Kentucky, if I believe, if I recall. And he was like Mr. Drama. He was like most eligible or most likely to succeed. He was like a stage actor. He was the funniest in his class. Everyone knew him because he was he could act. He could sing. He's like a very well-known singer. He could do like opera or like really high range stuff. He he was a stand-up comic, and he was like Mr. Drama out of Kentucky that year. He was like the big shot actor. Everyone knew him in all the local theater. He went to Los Angeles. He wanted to be a stand-up comic. And this is the thing that I didn't even know until yesterday I read this. He is a graduate, one of the first graduates of the comedy store in Los Angeles, and his biggest contemporary was Robin Williams. Wow, so he was passed by, by, what's her name, Uh, the... uh... The mother of Polly Shore. Yeah, Mitzi Shore. Mitzi, Mitzi Shore, yeah. So she, he was a, one of the first people to get passed by Mitzi in the comedy store. That's pretty wild. Yeah, he's amazing. So he came out of there, and he was he was he and Robin Williams were like the number one and two stand-up comics of that era of that that could do improvisational and could do everything. And Jim Varney became a stand-up comic, and then he became a character actor, and he was very widely known in a lot of commercials even before Ernest, and. This is the one thing that I want to get across to people. This this may not really – they won't have a way to uh, identify with this. But there was a TV show in the 80s. Do you remember um, uh, TV's bloopers and practical jokes with Dick Clark and Ed McMahon? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Yeah, see, my memory is that's how Ernest became big, is that Jim Varney was going around the country doing all these commercials for all these regional chains. And Ernest was just one of the characters he played, but Ernest was so popular, they would always highlight him on TV's bloopers and practical jokes as like the one of their favorite commercial spokespeople. 
And he became really big because of that, because that was a huge show. And that eventually led to Ernest becoming a national phenomenon and then into this movie. Yeah, I, you know, I have a vague recollection of that, of them, because they would always highlight like local commercials. Mm-hmm. And they would, and I seem to remember uh, possibly seeing a um, Ernest commercial, but it didn't really click with me. So that's that's very interesting. Yeah, and then this leads to two things. After that, is that eventually Jim Varney just became Ernest because Ernest was so popular that people only knew Jim Varney as that. Even though he could do all sorts of other stuff. If you go on YouTube, there's stuff of him doing Shakespeare. There's stuff of him doing dramas and stuff that are nothing like Ernest at all. He was very talented, but much to his chagrin, he kind of became Ernest, and he was dismayed. I remember reading an interview that he was dismayed that people would come up to him and think would think he was exactly like Ernest because he was so identified with that character but he was way he was like a genius i read he had like genius iq he was very well read very educated and he just it was dumbfounding to him that everyone just assumed he was like Ernest because he was so much more than that yeah oh yeah and and you can see that with a lot of a lot of really good actors that get sort of pigeonholed uh paul rubens is a really good actor mm-hmm. and unfortunately you know him only as Wee herman uh and he was phenomenal in the movie blow uh, he, he's a really good actor, but everybody sees him only as the, you know, the guy who rides the goofy bike. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Although I, there, I mean, there was some downsides to being known as Ernest. Here's another cool trivia fact is that Jim Varney was considered one of the nicest guys ever to work in entertainment. And he, I think I read somewhere, he was one of the most requested make a wish request for like dying and sick kids wanted to meet a celebrity they'd all want to meet Ernest, and they said jim varney never turned down a request ever he was like one of the most requested people ever and like anyone who ever worked with him loved this guy he's one of these guys that was just really special like tom hanks nice tom hanks good but again if you only know him for Ernest, you only know part of the picture because he had a lot going on yeah and he deserves a lot more uh attention for that because he he was he was just he had a lot of gifts to offer and uh, unfortunately, all you see is the guy in the blue vest. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, he, he's so he, he was very, very talented. And, you know, as much as I love Ernest Goes to Camp, I would have loved to have seen him sort of branch out just like Robin Williams did. Robin Williams was known for Mork. And then, you know, he came, became one of the greatest actors of his generation Yeah, because I think he wasn't afraid to to break out of that mold. I wonder if Varney might have had some sort of. uh maybe he just wanted to uh, to be successful. And when he found that success, he stuck with it and uh, didn't want to disappoint people by not beca- being earnest all the time. Yeah, because that's, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Ernest was so popular and, and Jim Varney was probably making money, you know, hand over fist, so many appearances and stuff. And he just didn't want to let people down because Mork was popular. Mork was only around for a couple of years. Ernest was around for 15 years. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, it's, it's a, self-fulfilling prophecy he kind of got trapped in the character he created and i know he, he made it, it benefited him a lot but of course it probably held him back and it's yeah it's just a shame quentin tarantino never really got a chance to work with jim varney oh my gosh can you imagine jim <laughs> varney and uh and once upon a time in hollywood uh you know just yeah oh don't don't give me that idea that idea because geez just him in the background is one of those cowboys with uh with uh Leonardo DiCaprio or something would just be incredible. I just, uh, yeah, don't, don't give me, uh, don't give me hope for something that'll never happen. <laughs> Sorry. That's but yeah, okay. 
Yeah, to complete the story for people, Jim Varney, one of these guys, these special talents, everyone loved. He could do anything. He was like Tom Hanks good. And he died, unfortunately, very young. He was a heavy smoker. He got lung cancer in the late 90s, died in 2000. And just with him, you know, his legacy has kind of been forgotten over the years. But so many people still talk about him fondly and love him. And so more than anything like this, I don't even consider this really a podcast on Ernest Goes to Camp as much as it is. I just want to rave about Jim Varney and just get people to realize how special he was. Yeah, yeah look him up on YouTube. You'll find more than just Ernest. You'll definitely find uh Find a guy who was very complex, but very talented. Yeah, and, and you know, this movie is funny. I wouldn't really say it's like the funniest movie ever. Like, I, I was reading one review today of somebody who went back to watch it for the first time, and he said, here's the plot of Ernest Goes to Camp. Ernest either falls off, off stuff or stuff falls onto Ernest. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. But it's a slapstick comedy, and that's that's what was that's what sells. Uh, kids like cartoons. It's a live-action cartoon. And if you look, when you go into Ernest Goes to Camp expecting high art, you're going to be very, very disappointed. <laughs> uh, you go in there expecting Looney Tunes, you'll be you'll you'll be very, very uh, pleased. Well, yeah, but it's like I, I, this is a weird movie to describe for me because it is a comedy, but as it goes along, it gets less funny and it's surprisingly moving. This movie, and I remember that as a kid, and I remember watching it this morning. I'm like, you know, this movie's surprisingly emotional. I wasn't really expecting that. Look, if you don't tear up when uh, when Ernest sings, sure, I'm glad it's raining, then then you have no heart. Yeah, that's the, the exact scene I was thinking of. Yeah, he has a lot of heart. There's that in the scene right before that. Uh, we'll get into it, I'm sure. But the scene right before that where he's talking about how important the camp is to him. That's where you get to see Barney, the actor. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was it is surprisingly moving uh, for, for people to watch because you see this guy who's just a goofball. Uh, emoting realistically it, it's weird but it's cool <laughs> yeah this movie's got depth and the movie I, I compare this the most to is a movie i've already done on staff picks which was meatballs which is also a comedy that's really moving at times it'll sneak up on you and so it's really not a surprise to me that bill murray and jim varney because bill murray was also kind of a good dramatic actor kind of ham uh, typecast in comedy but yeah this is kind of a uh, a meatballs for a little younger crowd yes it's definitely i wouldn't watch meatballs with my seven-year-old but i would watch this <laughs> but yeah i i agree with you that's totally that's a great comparison because yeah the, both actors both lead actors have uh have a lot of talent and were unfortunately for a long time comedy guys. Yeah. Okay. And one last thing, I guess this is the elephant in the room talking about this movie. This movie is almost impossible to find when, (laughs) when Jeremy said he wants to do Ernest goes to camp. I'll like, okay, I'll look it up. It can't be that hard to find. Oh no, that is not how it goes at all. Has that been in your experience as well? Well, you know, it's funny. I, um, I have a policy with my wife now because one time I uh, I was gonna buy Better Off Dead on DVD and um, I couldn't find I, I I picked it up. My wife said we don't really need it, so I put it away. And then I couldn't find it for probably five years. And and finally I was able to find Better Off Dead. But um, Ernest goes to camp because I was I was on this treasure hunt to find Better Off Dead, which is another great comedy by the way. Uh, I I. Now, pick if I pick up a movie uh, that I want to buy, I, I will buy it because it probably, especially one from the 80s, um, because I probably won't find it again. And that was the case of Ernest Goes to Camp. I bought it on DVD. Probably it was probably one of the 
first movies I bought on DVD <laughs> um, for like eight bucks or 10 bucks or something. And now you can't find it. And I was shocked. I actually looked on Disney Plus. I know you don't stream anything. Mm-hmm. Disney Plus doesn't even have it. And, and they own Touchstone, which is really weird. So um, good luck finding it, folks. We're going to talk about the movie, make you want to see it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and you're, you're going to have trouble. But, uh, you know, email me. I might be able to get you something. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I can find almost any movie. But this is one I had to turn to my daughter. My daughter knows all the dark web places to find movies that don't that aren't legal. And so she's like, go to Put Lockers. So I go to Put Lockers. <laughs> and I just searched like 12 different Put Lockers before I even found Ernest Goes to Camp. And I think it was like putlockers.malware.russia or something. It was oh, <laughs> oh, so basically you're, you're swerving the election thanks to uh, Ernest Goes to Camp. Yes. So we'll blame it on you in 2020 if uh... – wherever the election goes yeah so again as jeremy alluded to enjoy trying to find this movie we're going to describe for you because you can't do it and you even said you tried to find the dvd and it's like super expensive now right yeah it's like 69 dollars on amazon (laughs) i I guess there's some guy in uh in the middle of nowhere who's like i can finally make money off of Ernest. But yeah, I bought it for like 10 bucks almost 20 years ago now. I should point out, not only are you the first person to use gravitas and earnest in the same sentence, you're now the first person to use the word 69 and earnest in the same sentence. (laughs) There you go. There you go, folks. (laughs) Smashing down barriers left and right as you're on hat staff picks. There you go. That's that's what we're here for. (laughs) Okay, so are you ready to walk through the plot, quote unquote, plot of Ernest Goes to Camp? Sure, it's a 90-minute movie. It won't take us long at all. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, again, Ernest P. Worrell, comedians, uh, commercial spokesperson, finally was given a movie to see how he could do. And this was his introduction to America as a movie star. And, again, it's not a half-bad movie for what it could have been. But uh, let's see. How would you like to describe? Just kind of give an overview of the plot for people. Just the, what's the the quick version of the story? All right. Uh, um, a gentleman by the name of Ernest. He uh, works at a camp as a handyman. His dream is to be a counselor, and he does become one to a bunch of uh, ne'er do well children, and uh, helps save the camp from a uh, monstrous uh, strip mining company. All while fall, letting stuff fall on him. <laughs> yes. And again, there's it's surprisingly deep and emotional at times. I was not expecting it, but okay. So here we go. We start the camp is uh, Camp Kikakee, if I recall, right? Yeah, it's as real an Indian tribe as Iron Eyes Cody is an actual Indian. <laughs> okay, now I get that joke. Most of my listeners will not get that joke. <laughs> Explain who Iron Eyes Cody is and why that joke's good. Okay, well, back in the 70s, which is not a time I remember because I was a baby, uh, there was a, uh, a campaign to end uh, littering with a with a gentleman that was a Native American standing and crying while looking at this sea of uh, of litter. And uh, that gentleman was a guy by the name of Iron Eyes Cody, uh, who played a Native American pretty much his entire life, both in movies and in real life. But he was not Native American at all. He was uh, he was Italian. I don't I don't have his real name in front of me. <laughs> But uh, he was an Italian gentleman who apparently just got typecast because he looks sort of Native American in the 1920s, and he stuck to it. He he that he lived his life as Iron Eyes Cody. Uh, there was actually a famous uh, Sopranos episode about Christopher Columbus where the where the gang goes and threatens uh, the Italian American or the Native Americans who are protesting Columbus Day. 
by saying they're going to reveal the big secret of Iron Ice Cody being a, being an Italian and not a Native American. So yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting guy because it was sort of a Native American stolen valor. <laughs> If you wanted a Native American elder chief in your movie in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, you'd hire Iron Eyes Cody. He was that that uh, litter commercial is the most famous one. He starts crying towards the camera, but he had many, many other movies before and after that. He was always the old Native American Indian chief. And then after he died, it was determined he was not Native American at all. He was 100% Italian. Yeah, he was parodied quite well in Wayne's World 2 as well. <laughs> And we bring that up because this is his last movie. This is Iron Eyes Cody's last movie. He plays Chief uh, St. Cloud. Is that his name? Yeah, Chief St. Cloud. Yes. <laughs> Which is a very Indian name, right? Oh, yeah. Very Indian. And he doesn't speak English in the movie. He only speaks in... Native American language, which in real life he didn't know at all. He just pretended. Yeah. Yeah, it was gibberish. And he also used gibberish Native American sign language uh, <laughs> as well. Okay. So, yeah, Iron Eyes Cody owns this camp, Camp Kikakee, and they place Chief St. Cloud, and Ernest is his main handyman. And this is the story of the one summer at, at Camp Kikakee. And the first, like, 10 minutes of the movie is just Jim Varney doing Ernest shtick. Yes, it's it's so it's it's you seeing the kind of guy Ernest is. He's a very uh, he he's not a good handyman. I don't know how the man has kept his job. Uh, he doesn't know how to plunge a toilet properly. Uh, he has a Cushman uh, that he's driving around that he can't seem to stop for some reason. He's just not a very good handyman. He actually I don't know what he was doing at the beginning because he had a ladder upside down and he was running a a, a flathead screwdriver underneath perfectly fine ropes that were tying the sign up. I have no idea what he was doing, but he's earnest and he's got to do something. So, yeah, this is what we knew Ernest from in the commercials. He would always be a goof off, be a, you know, loser. He was a big talker. And that was kind of the Jim Varney would add this to the character. Ernest was a know-it-all. He knew everything about everything that would involve fixing things and marketing, but he would always screw it up and something would fall on him. It would break. And so this is what we see at the start of the movie. What he falls off a ladder at the start. Yeah, yeah, he falls off a ladder at the start, and and you knew what you were in for at that point. <laughs> yes, this is where the gravitas would start. Yes, that's where it started. He gravitas was not his friend there; it just kind of <laughs> it pulled him down. But <laughs> <laughs> Sir Isaac Newton was his enemy there. Yes, <laughs> gravity is a harsh mistress. <laughs> So, but the, I'll do it. There is one scene I want to point out here. Again, this is a silly movie with a lot of slapstick, but there's a scene right at the start where he's plunging the toilet. Yes. I have to say, like, you can see what a talented mime Jim Varney is in this scene in particular. It's very convincing. You know he's just pretending to plunge a toilet. He does it very yes. well. And I was just watching, and I'm like, I'm impressed that he's pulling that off. It looks very realistic, but again, that's probably harder to do than it looks. And Yes, and when you talk about informing my humor, uh, that little face he makes at the beginning when he looks in the toilet and goes, ew, ew. I do that all the time. When I smell something funky at my house, that's the that's my go to response. And I didn't realize I was doing Ernest until I saw Ernest do it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm doing Ernest B. Worrell. Yeah, he does that, I think, three <laughs> times in the movie. He'll he sees something or smells something and he turns to the camera and says, "Ew!" and it's really funny. <laughs> it is. It's because his face is elastic. You know, you think about a guy like Jim Carrey. Uh, Jim Varney has the same thing where his face can kind of distort into all sorts of weird 
shapes and uh, it makes it funnier that way. <laughs> yeah, so we get a little Jim Varney shtick at the start, and there'll be plenty during the movie. Don't worry, we'll we'll make we'll talk about it. But and the whole premise of the movie is Ernest is a handyman at this camp, but all he wants to be is a counselor. He wants to work with kids and mold their young minds, and he wants to be taken seriously and with respect. And that's his his only dream in life. He wants to be a, a camp counselor. Yeah, what a dream, right? <laughs> Aim for the stars. Yes, you know, he's he's aiming for probably what he's qualified for. <laughs> Wait, he's qualified to work with children? Did you see him on the ladder? There's no way. Uh, yeah, well, he's not qualified to teach them safety. But, you know, he he, he does know what not to do when you, run in, when you run across a family of badgers. Let's just be honest. <laughs> he was able to present that to them very well, but we'll get to that, I'm sure. I guess we kind of skipped the very first scene of the movie with the uh, the ritual. Yeah, you know, it's a very dark uh, beginning for the movie. <laughs> like, you don't know what's going on. Okay, yeah, the, this it's a very odd start to an earnest movie with all what's 95% slapstick, but it described the scene to people. I completely forgot this was in the movie. Okay, so if you go into this movie blind, you have no idea what you're watching. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's some Native American ritual where a, uh, a young man uh, is tied against a giant boulder it's dark and there's fire going everywhere. And uh, and there's one guy who will start by throwing a knife at a guy at the guy tied to the uh, a tied to the rock. And then it doesn't hit him, obviously. And then he uh, he shoots an arrow at him and it doesn't hit him. And there was one other thing and I don't remember what it was, but there's three things, the blade, the stone and the arrow. So there's three things that get thrown at him and then uh, nothing hits the kid. And they go up to him and yell at him a lot. And then they yells back. And apparently now he's a man. So that's that's pretty much what the blade, the stone, and the arrow is. It's a made-up Native American ritual <laughs> that doesn't exist in any uh, any history books at all because neither does the Kikiki tribe. So it's just it, – it's a very confusing thing. I actually, when I watched it with my kids for the first few times, I skipped that scene just because it makes no sense – for the rest of the, until the end of the movie, really. Uh, and so I just, it's too dark to start, hey, let's watch a fun kids movie while a guy's getting an arrow shot at him. Um, yeah, I was going to say, that's probably why you didn't watch that scene with your kids. You don't want them going out in the yard and practicing this on each other. Look, no, no, you don't want them doing that. I do have a hatchet. That's what the third thing is. It's a hatchet that he throws at him. Uh, yeah, we, I don't want them like playing blade, stone, and arrow in the backyard. It's just not very safe. And again, how dare you insinuate that they made up Native American mythology in this movie? <laughs> oh, trust me, I, they would do that with uh, if if they're gonna have the only Native American in their movie be played by someone who's not Native American. Uh, we can assume that they didn't know anything about Native American culture, although. Jury's still out on his daughter, who is plays the nurse in the movie. I think she might be Native American. We might have had, although I think she's also the only female in the movie. She is. There's no, well, there are, there is a short scene uh, later on where there are women cowering in fear from Lyle Alzado. So. <laughs> okay. So Ernest does not get a love interest in this movie. He gets nothing. There's no females, hardly at all. But yeah, there's this ritual at the start. It's the, the ceremony of how Native American boys become men. And this will factor into the plot later, but you don't know why it's there at the start of the movie. Why why is there an Indian death ritual at the start of an Ernest movie? This makes no sense, but it'll, it'll pay off later, hopefully. It's the weirdest bar mitzvah ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, 
the so now we're back at camp and all the kids are arriving for the summer and they, they they're just mean to Ernest. Like Ernest is the camp clown or the camp goofball and they just pick on him. There's a scene at the start with kids on the bus slamming Ernest's knuckles into a window. Like he gets no respect. He's the Rodney Dangerfield here. None at all. None at all. His and whenever I see those I I don't know if you ever rode the bus to school. Uh, whenever I see that where they slam the window, the fingers in the window, it, I feel the pain because I know how much that hurts. Not because people did that to me, but I've done it to myself. So you, you already feel the, the pain of being bullied, but also breaking your fingers. So, Jeremy, were you earnest? Uh, no, I was not earnest. I was close. Uh, I was not I was not a know it all, but I did. Uh, I did get into a lot of I did get beat up a lot. <laughs> oh no. I, I feel like I should, I should delve into that more, but we have a comedy movie to talk about. Oh, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> you know, if only you'd been through the uh, the ritual of the uh, blade, the stone, and the arrow, you would have been a man. I would have been a man, and then I would have – I don't know what would have happened to me. But uh, I probably would have still gotten beat up So by na real Native Americans. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Are you back in Wyoming? Were you in the plains back then? I, hey, look, we have the Mohawks. <laughs> okay so so yeah this is the camp it's run by this old native american guy and his daughter or wait his granddaughter i don't even remember her name nurse saint cloud that, that's all we know nurse saint cloud but she's like the real brains behind the camp and she's like the nurse and we have a shot of her giving Ernest a shot at the beginning and she like is maternal towards him. But she's kind of the brains behind this camp, although she won't really factor into the story. Just she's like the only responsible adult in this whole movie. What's really funny is um, I my wife is a nurse, so I asked her once because there's that scene with the shot. That needle is totally not for an immunization. <laughs> it's too, way too big. It's it's it creates a large hole uh, when you put it in. It's not it's not it's for putting into a joint, not for muscle. So it was really there for comedic effect. And uh, yeah, that, that was just a funny that was funny little detail that I noticed about the movie. Again, how dare you point out flaws of realism in Ernest Goes to Camp? I know I'm trying not to, but it's real hard. <laughs> Okay, so this is a special summer we learn in the movie that some troubled youths will be sent to Camp Kikakee this year, and they're like from the juvenile detention center. I forget what they're called, like the, the, the last chance kids or something. The, the, the second chance kids. The, the the last chance is what the uh, what the rude counselor that looks like a low rent uh, Dennis Leary uh, calls them. Okay, so they're these troubled youths, and none of the uh, counselors want to go pick up these kids. Someone has to drive to the jail and pick up these little 11- and 12-year-old kid juvenile delinquents and drive them back here to camp. And so they send Ernest. Of course. Now, hilarity is going to ensue because guess what? Ernest is not prepared for this task. Oh, not in the least. Uh, the, the kids themselves, uh, I, they go through a lineup, first of all. When they bring them out, and and you sort of know all these kids are bad. You know, they, one guy's a master thief. Uh, another guy, he's apparently really smart, so I'm assuming he hacked into the school computer and did something, or was like a war games kid. Yep. But then there's this little little kid that comes out named Mustafa. They call Moose. He's a short little African American young man, and uh, they don't really say what he did wrong, but he's sweet and he's kind, and I can only assume he killed somebody. <laughs> He did. Yeah, he was. He went on a murder spree. He was a sniper. Yes, he was. Yeah, <laughs> he was the original Beltway sniper, driving around picking people off. 
Well, yeah. Well, you know, he, he could fit in the trunk. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about these second chance kids, the 80s toughs. Now, yes. you can tell they're tough because they all wear sunglasses. Yes, or or uh, they they keep their shirts unbuttoned. Yeah. Uh, one kid just has no shirt. Yes, uh, one kid wears an army jacket. He looks like a, 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 a discount AC Slater, uh, Vargas. <laughs> He's wearing like this army jacket. Uh, I have no idea uh, how tough he is, except he... Uh, he he's just he's a tough guy. They're all tough. The one kid is just uh, the the leads. The leader is Bobby Wayne, mm-hmm. and uh, he's tough because he has buttons on his vest that say "I'm surrounded by idiots." <laughs> yes. He's he's just a tough kid. The toughest of the tough. Yeah. This, imagine like silver spoons. A kid that might have been pushing Ricky around a little bit. Those are the toughs in this movie. They're not really like yeah. hardcore toughs. They're like prep school toughs. Yes, yes, they they uh, they're the kids who were uh, were uh, abusing Brendan Fraser in school ties. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> a lot of anti-Semites here. Yes, yeah, well, you know, they they probably weren't anti-Semites. I mean, but they do live in Tennessee, so that the jury's still out. Yeah, I have it on a good authority that little Mustafa was a huge anti-Semite. <laughs> well, you know, th- yeah, that's possible. I mean, if, yeah, he could have fallen into the wrong crowd, I'm sure, especially in jail. <laughs> So these six kids are going to be sent to the normal summer camp. And they're, you know, there's they, the whole movie, they talk about how horrible and mean these kids are. But again, this is a very mild movie. They're not really that mean. And then the youngest one, as Jeremy said, Mustafa Moose, the little black kid. He is the sweetest, cutest little kid ever. How the hell did this kid end up in juvie? That's, it doesn't, like Jeremy said, he only had to, he had to have killed somebody. That's all we can guess. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he killed somebody. I, 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 the more I, the more I watch it, and I watch it every year, I'm convinced that Moose is a killer. <laughs> yes. So, so Ernest, of course, has a heart of all gold. He says, you know, these kids might be bad, but that's from my experience, I never met a bad kid. And so Ernest tries to befriend these kids, and they immediately pay him back by trying to murder him on the bus. <laughs> well, murder him and kill themselves because they put his. Crutchfield uh, Crutchfield puts his hands over Ernest's eyes while he's driving and plays Guess Who, which is not an advisable thing to do when someone's driving a bus. And uh, obviously hilarity ensues. They almost hit a dump truck. <laughs> Driven by Crater Industries, by the way. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about them in a second. Yes. Okay, so we're going to diverge into a couple different plots here. I know I don't want to confuse you with the multiple story arcs and Ernest goes to camp. It's, it's very complex. <laughs> yes. So, so there's a couple storylines. They get back to camp, and Ernest is scolded for letting the second chance kids push him around, and he's sad. And then they assign the second chan- chance kids to this one counselor, Counselor Stennis, Ross Stennis. Yes, and he is like a low. He looks like a low rent Dennis Leary, like I said before. Um, just he's mean. He does not like. I don't know why he works at a camp for children. I don't think he likes children at all. <laughs> Yet he's still more qualified than Ernest because Ernest has been trying to get that position for years. They gave it to Stennis, even though Stennis is a sadist who hates children. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> He does hate children. He does. And it will not end well because Ross Stennis does not like these second chance kids, so he will torture them and try to discipline them. He's He tries to give them the old military uh, discipline, and they do not react well to that at all. I believe uh, the phrase he used was, he's not going to take any crap off of them. That's right. <laughs> yes. That's the kind of language we're looking at here. 
he approached it like Arlie Ermy does the uh, boot camp in Full Metal Jacket. That's that's how he approaches it, but with much much nicer language. So, so now you're the first person who has compared Ernest goes to camp to Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to what I, I bet Chip Osgood would have become a Private File uh, if 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 things went a different way, he would have become Private File. I love that Jeremy just pulled out one of the kids' names, Chip Osgood. I had to immediately look at my notes. Who'd you want to know is that? You immediately knew off the top of your head his name. The fat, smart one was Chip Osgood. Of course. There's also Butch Too Cool Vargas. He's the kid in the uh, military jacket that looks like a uh, discount AC Slater. <laughs> okay, so so Counselor Stennis starts disciplining these kids, and the, the second chance kids get in a fight the first day in the cafeteria because somebody trips a little moose. Of course. They, they're protective of Moose because obviously they want to protect Moose because if they don't, he'll kill them. <laughs> yes, it's it's prison rules. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so the second chance kids get in a big fight and Counselor Stennis makes them dig a ditch as punishment. And it's basically, uh, it's not going to go well. Basically... Uh, what will end up happening is Stennis is too mean to these kids. He's going to throw Moose into the, to the lake to try to make him swim. Moose try, almost drowns, and Ernest will jump in and save Moose. And basically that's how the kids are going to become bonding with Ernest. He will wind up being their counselor. Yes, it, it, they break Stennis's leg by pushing. By the way, this is all Ernest, uh, Ernest's fault because he was working on the, uh, the lifeguard chair that Stennis was sitting in, and it was not completely on the dock. And so they were able to push him off of the dock and uh, break his leg in the process, which is, results in Stennis having to leave. So it's all Ernest's fault. Maybe Ernest planned it. He is a pretty smart guy. Uh, Jim Varney is, at least. So maybe he did plan it that way. I don't know. Very Machiavellian there. Yes, yes. Yeah, so uh, to sum up, yeah, well, what just happened is that the, yeah, the, the Stennis, the counselor, throws the little boy, Moose, into the water to make him swim. Ernest saves him. The kids are mad that this Stennis guy is pushing them around. They push his lifeguard stand over into the water. And somehow, now I don't get the physics of this. I'm no doctor. We may have to check with your wife, the nurse here. How does one sitting in a lifeguard chair falling backwards into the water wind up with a broken leg? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's comedy. <laughs> okay, I thought maybe, I mean, maybe how does, Moose did it. How does, yeah, maybe, how does Ernest, uh, not have a concussion after the fight in the, uh, in the cafeteria? I don't know. How does he not have massive internal bleeding from the soda machine falling on him? I don't know. It's comedy. <laughs> okay, so this is the whole thing. Yeah, Stennis has a broken leg. He can't watch the kids anymore. The counselor, the main counselor of the cabin says, Ernest, you're a counselor now. And again, this is all that Ernest has ever wanted in his life. So now he's going to bond with the kids. And the next 30 minutes will be the kids just constantly crapping on him because they make fun of him and Ernest failing. But that's not important right now because we have a subplot to talk about here, the Crater Industries subplot. Oh, yes, yes. You know, first of all, um, what, how the mighty have fallen in that you had the gentleman who played Crater was originally Dean Vernon from, uh, from Animal House. He went from being in a, a movie like Animal House to being in Ernest Goes to Camp. So he clearly needed a paycheck and ended up uh, playing the, really the, uh, the, the main villain of the movie. Yeah, then uh, to give people who have not seen this movie recently, and I'm guessing that's all of you, 
to sum this up, Crater Industries is this uh, corporation that's digging for chemicals. What is the chemical here? I forgot to write it down. Oh, uh, tetracide. Tetracide. It's apparently really good. Tetracite. Yeah. Tetracite. Yeah. I think, or petrocyte, something like that. It's it's apparently really important to the space. (laughs) Yeah. It's a mineral they made up much like unobtainium here, like an avatar, that there's this chemical that's found in the soil around here, this mineral, and it's very important to defense contracts. This chemical's digging for it. Turns out there's a huge cluster of petrocyte underneath the camp, and they want to take over the camp. So this is the evil corporation trying to steal the land. And like in every every classic 80s movie where there is an evil corporation, they have a full-scale model of, of, the, of the, uh, the plot that they want to take over that they can destroy uh, while discussing what they want to do. Uh, it's, it's, I think it was a requirement in every movie like that where they'd have that model. <laughs> yeah, so the large model, and they are just evil. Might as well be called Evil Co. They're coming to take over the camp. And there's one noteworthy actor, like you said, the, the dean from Animal House is the leader of uh, Crater Industries. John Vernon. John Vernon. John Vernon, yeah. yeah. But I want to talk about Lyle Alzado, because I don't think a lot of people nowadays know who he was. Uh, Lyle Alzado, he played for, uh, I want to say, the, the Oakland Raiders in the 70s and 80s. Did a lot of steroids. Um, ended up retiring and becoming sort of known for being an actor as the big muscle guy. Uh, he, I think he had a, t- a sitcom for a while, uh, maybe for a season or two. I don't remember what it was, but he, I think it was a wrestling sitcom actually where he played a wrestler, which, yeah, that was Canadian TV. They, they're weird. Um, <laughs> anyway. Alzado, yeah, he uh, he ended up playing the heavy in this. He was the uh, the bodyguard for uh, Mr. Crater, and he he was the guy that they would send in to take care of business when they needed it taken care of. Yeah, there uh, for a little history for people, there were four big football players. I guess five, five big football players from the '70s that all became big actors, action stars. One would be O.J. Simpson. You may have heard of him before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, maybe. Maybe he was inspired by Moose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly inspired by allegedly, Moose. Allegedly. Allegedly. Sorry. Yeah. So you had Alex Karras, a big football player. He ended up in Webster. You had John Matuzak, who was in the Goonies. He played Sloth. Right. You had Dick Butkus, who was in a bunch of stuff. And then you had Lyle Alzado, who was probably known as the most violent of those four. He was like a excessive violence, roid rage all the time. He was supposed to be a real nice guy, but in football, he was not pleasant to play against and he ended up playing a lot of villains and tough guys in movies and this is his most famous movie i think as the bodyguard for crater industries yeah most likely i don't i can't think of any other i mean i know that he was in a lot of movies but this is the one i remember him the most for obviously <laughs> yes and his most famous scene is this one where is where he kicks the ever laughing crap out of ernest p warrell in a fight yes uh yeah <laughs> a guy who probably weighs a third of his weight uh so yeah <laughs> Good for life. He actually, I think his coach was John Madden, which is, uh, um, which I thought was an interesting thing too. Okay. All right. So here we go. So the crater industry subplot, they're coming to take over the land and they go to the old Indian chief. We need to buy your land. And the Indian chief not only doesn't speak English, but he doesn't believe in things like owning property or like who can own the trees, who can own these lands. These are our ancestral lands. So he won't sell and evil co is going to sneak in and try to do it underhanded. That'll, that'll come a little later though. Yes, of course. 
Okay, so there's a subplot right here in the movie that I do not enjoy at all. I didn't like it as a kid. The two chefs. <laughs> I will, because I know you love this movie and you introduce it to your children. I'm guessing they probably like these guys, the two chefs. Well, you know, it's goofy. It's definitely for little, little kids. Uh, the chefs are not my, uh, not, they're not my favorite part of the movie. I'll give you that. Uh, I do, I do uh, chuckle every time I see the liver loafer ranger though. Uh, and, uh, the, and I do refer to when I'm experimenting in the kitchen with food as eggs So um, yeah, so I, I guess they, they inform my humor a little bit, but yeah, they're, they're not the best part, but they are there. They're just there. Yeah, they're the two, and I said chefs earlier. Yeah, I really should say cooks. I do not believe they've been through the finest of French training academies. Yeah, I don't think they've, I don't think culinary school uh, covers uh, Tibetan cooking. <laughs> so these two slapstick cooks that are just throwing all these recipes together and they have something called the exeronius and they just throw things into a machine and it spits out food at the end and it's again it's it's good for little kids i find it drags a little bit but they they're luckily they're not in the movie too much yeah it's 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 just goofy i think it was just to pad out the 92 minute runtime. <laughs> yeah it's when the writer said you know this this earnest humor might be a little too too thinky for maybe the the, the dumber crowd so let's throw in a little stuff under earnest for the younger crowd <laughs> This, this doesn't play well with second graders. Let's move it down to the, the preschool for a couple months. Yeah. So the, the cooks are doing their shtick, and we'll just skip over them. Okay, so. Yeah, of course. So most of the movie here in the middle is Ernest bonding with the kids, the second chance kids, now that he's their leader. And he fails at every one of them. Let's see. He he tries to light a fire using a stick and rubbing it. to be. He accidentally lights his thigh on fire instead. Yes. Uh, he teaches them how to... Uh how to sharpen a knife uh -huh. by licking a whetstone and then slicing it at a perfect 45 degree angle down the stone and through the meat of the hand. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's that. And you know, for, speaking of the knives, hold on. Every one of these kids that's, that's supposedly from jail has an illegal knife. I don't know how they do it. Uh, they, they all have switchblades, butterfly knives. They have them on hand. I don't know how they did it. I would have expected maybe something fashioned out of a toothbrush <laughs> But no, they have real, real knives, which really bothers me. But uh, anyway. I forgot about that. Yeah, they do. They they got out of juvenile detention. They've been sent over to a summer camp. Yet somehow they all have the street legal knives or whatever. Yes. Well, the butterfly knife shocked me the most because the one kid, uh, uh, Crutchfield, has the butterfly knife, and uh, later on he does that thing that you can do with a butterfly knife with a, I don't know, it's fancy. And, uh, and I'm like, how did, he, how did he get that out of the boys' prison? How did he get it into the boys' prison? How did he get it to camp? I don't know, but I guess you shouldn't overthink an earnest move. Yeah, I don't think you want to know how they got it in and out of the prison. You probably don't want to delve into that question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, hopefully Moose wasn't involved, but okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, yeah, Ernest is just working with these kids, trying to teach them the ways of camping, and he's terrible at it, and they're mocking him, and at one point, they play a poker game against him, and he loses to the fat kid, like, $5,100 or something. Well, I uh, I did the math, because apparently, Ernest is really good at math. He said he can give him $30 a week for 14 years. Uh, that works out to about $22,000. Wow. Uh, well, yeah, that's a lot of money. I don't know. <laughs> Where I, I have no idea what kind of uh, game I don't know. Maybe Mexican Gorilla Sweat has very very high uh, high buy-ins or something. I don't know. Okay, so uh, 
Okay, so here we go. The, the Ernest is trying to teach these kids, and nothing's working, and, they, and they're just making fun of him. And, and here comes the third plot, the, the evil co trying to move in and steamroll the camp. And they've steamrolled everything in the area, but they cannot get this Native American chief to sell. So they're going to start using some underhanded tactics. And uh, this is where they announce at the camp the uh, project, the summer project, correct? Yes, yeah, where they they want – there's a contest for who makes the uh, – finest piece of uh indian art or something like that i I don't know it's something about that where one one team the year before made a headdress so (laughs) they announced the contest and of course it's more stolen native american valor uh by by making native american crafts all and it's all white in fact rewind for a second one of the funniest lines in the movie is when they were walking into the uh into the cafeteria and one of the kids said uh if a loaf of bread could speak, it'd be it fit in right here. <laughs> I want to say Vargas said that. I don't remember. But if a loaf of bread could speak, it fit in right here. So yes, that's the culture that is making the uh, Native American craft. <laughs> I was just gonna say. So they work on a project all summer, and the one that won last year was a headdress. Yeah. It took them all damn summer to make a headdress. Hey, look, that's like, you got to kill a lot of eagles to do that. <laughs> Yeah, they have their their bald eagle hunting range over there. Yes. (laughs) And so, yeah, Ernest suggests that his kids make a teepee. Oh, a teepee would really blow away. You know, has nobody ever thought to make a teepee at this camp to to represent Native American culture? You think someone would have done that before? At least, you know, I think every year there's someone who makes a teepee. So I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, Ernest was just like, hey, you know what? Someone did it last year and it was cool. Let's do that. Let's do that this year. Nobody else is doing it now. Yeah, so Ernest suggests these second chance kids make a teepee, and they like, no, you know, no one wants us to fit in here. The rich kids are just going to win. We're not going to win. Why even bother? And Ernest is like, you know, you got to try. You got to try to do something. And so they're not going to do it now, but they will be inspired later, and they actually will make their teepee. So remember, Ernest actually does change hearts and minds here. He does. It's it's it, That's Ernest's biggest power is being able to change hearts and minds. <laughs> Some would say only power, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, only. Yeah, sure. And then we we also learn here that Ernest has a pet turtle, a little snapping turtle named Pokey, which actually becomes in, important to the story later. Yes, uh, Ernest, Ernest has – apparently he's complaining to Pokey because he can't connect to these kids, and the, and the turtle, of course, bites him on the nose. And uh, the kids show up, and uh, he has to explain to them, look, you know, the only way to get the – the turtle off my nose is to sing to him. So they naturally sing a song by the turtles. Yeah, okay, let's let's delve into this scene for a second because I just have it circled in my notes here. I just wrote, why? Okay, let me let me set this up for people. I'll let you delve into this. But okay. So Ernest has, Ernest has been bitten on his nose by his pet snapping turtle. The little kids come in and he says, or they like, we'll pull that turtle off your nose. He's like, no, the only way to let him release it is if he, you sing to him. And so, okay, and they bust out into an impromptu barbershop quartet of Happy Together by the Turtles, which <laughs> I grew up in the 80s. Street Tufts were not singing songs from the 60s in, in, in unison like that. Why, why, why did this scene happen like that? I think because they only had one tape in, uh, in the prison there, and it was West Side Story. <laughs> uh, so they figured they had to have a dance-off or they had to sing something, and they only had one record. And it was uh, the turtles. So they they learned that song really well, and uh, they knew how to snap their fingers in unison. So I think that's what happened. 
Yeah, so this is a weird scene. And again, like I know the tie-in is the group's called the Turtles, so they have this Happy Together song, and it will come up later in the movie. But there's no way those kids would sing Happy Together off the top of their head. Well, come on. No, I, I I agree with you. Now, you know, one thing I, that, you know, let's talk about his room for a second. His room is, the decor is uh, quite interesting. Uh, and one of the things I saw in the background that I just caught for the first time was actually a character that he played. It was, uh, it was I think his Aunt Edna. He played a character, Aunt Edna or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she is in the background in a, uh, in like a stylized, old timey photo uh on the wall uh like literally three feet from a what a, a calendar that you'd see in a garage in 1987 so it was just uh, a buxom blonde or something like that right in the same same vicinity of his picture of his beloved aunt i thought that was a really interesting uh thing to catch in the background of uh of Ernest's room. Yeah, well, I read somewhere that if you, like, if you knew Jim Varney, he played all these regional commercials, all these characters other than Ernest or other spinoffs, and if you look in this cabin, there's a bunch of props, not just Aunt Edna, but there's a bunch of props from all his commercials people would have known him from. It's like a little inside joke. Oh, that's funny. That's really funny. Yeah, and then also there's a very realistic sex doll. <laughs> I didn't see that. No, there's not. I, I wasn't looking for that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> No. You're like, oh, God, I can't watch this with the kids anymore. Yeah. Ernest is very lonely in his cabin. Well, you know, it's cold out there. So he's like Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 2, his little shack in the woods with the mom's head on the porch. Aw, Ernest's mom. No, let's not talk about that. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so... uh <laughs> Here we go. So the, the the as we kind of we're almost to the end of the movie. I hate to say it. Yeah, we're getting real close. <laughs> so so um, we go to the contest where these kids are building this project, and the winner is like the it's, is the the winner of camp at the end of summer. Whoever makes the best project, and the rich kids who have been picking on the second chance kids are making a kayak, and they're expected to win because they always win, and they mock the second chance kids. They're like, "You guys can't win. You don't belong here. You guys are street trash." And this is where the movie gets actually kind of touching. Like the, the the second chance kids start working together and we get a teamwork montage as they build a teepee all by themselves. Yes. Uh, I, I, 80s movies are not complete without a good montage. Mm-hmm. And there are two really good montages in this movie. And this is the first one. I think there's three montages. Is there one? There's, there's two teamwork montages. They build the teepee. The teepee gets destroyed. They build it again. And then there's the A-team montage where they build their death weapon at the end. Yes, the A-team montage. I literally wrote that down in my notes. The A-team montage. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot of A-team slash Home Alone carnage at the end here. We'll get up to that. Yes, we'll get there. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, the Second Chance kids build this TP and they're very proud, and they work together, and it's like, you start to root for these kids. Wow, they're actually, they're showing some spirit, they're enjoying this experience, and then we get a little heart tug scene where Moose, the little black kid, comes up to Ernest and says, you know, if we win the contest, can we stay here forever? I don't want to go back to the state home anymore. And Ernest is like, <laughs> you know, little boy, you know, if it was up to me, I'd make sure you could stay here forever, but it ain't up to me. And it's like Moose and Ernest have a nice little relationship through this whole movie. Yeah, there's a there's a father-son sort of relationship there. I think Moose is just planning to kill him. <laughs> so Moose is setting him up for the kill? Yes, I think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, you accused me of being too dark. Now you you keep going with the moose <laughs> bit here. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I have to be consistent. Okay, so uh, this is where the kids are finally going to start respecting the camp here, where the kids have built their teepee, and they all, everyone's very proud of them, and the staff is noticing. They're like, you know, these kids built this teepee. They're doing a great job. I should point out, Jeremy, Ernest has nothing to do with that teepee. They did it all in spite of him. Yeah, he, he only inspired them. He, he, was, he was just the catalyst. They were the, uh, the actual agents of change. <laughs> yes. So they go out on this nighttime camping trip, Ernest and the old Indian chief and his daughter or his granddaughter and then the kids. And the old man, old chief Cloud, tells them a story. And this is where he basically recaps that first scene we saw in the movie with the blade ritual. Yeah, which is what they should have just done. They shouldn't have had that scene at the beginning. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to have it at the beginning unless you see the movie and you're like, oh, yeah, that's the blade, the stone, and the arrow. You have to have watched it one time to catch what they're talking about in the first scene. Uh, this is not a movie that warrants multiple viewings unless you're insane like me. Uh but apparently, if you want to know what that first scene means, you have to watch the whole movie and then watch it again to see that scene in context. I would guess if you watch it multiple times, you catch a lot of the subtle nuance in the Ernest character. Yeah, you do. You do. You, and you catch the running gags like the uh, the Cushman, uh, tra not trailer, but the little golf cart thing running in the background all the time. Wait, you didn't catch that the first time? Well, you you don't see it every time. Like, there's some times where you see it way in the background. You have to really look for it. Okay, yeah. So the old man at this camp, you know, the, the nighttime campfire, is telling the kids the story of the Indian Braves and how they had to go through this ritual. And these little tough kids are actually impressed by this. They actually listen to the Indian chief's story. And what does he say? He says, basically, uh, you go through this ritual. And he says, I even wrote down the quote. This is the only quote I wrote down in the movie. He said, if a young brave had faith in the great one and he had true courage and he had been, if he was pure at heart, weapons would not touch him. And then one day he would become a warrior as one day you will. Ah, uh, see, I'm inspired now. Yeah. And what's funny is that actually happens to Ernest later in the movie. I kind of forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of, it's foreshadowing, uh, in it for the later, for what happens later on. Okay, let's go to the end of the movie here, or to the very end. Let's see, see if we can actually make this an hour-long podcast. Yeah, well, we, you, you, they do go and they find out that their uh, teepee has been burned down by the rich kids, who obviously hate them. Plot twist. Uh, and then they go, they go and get into a fight with them at one point uh, afterwards, because, of course, one of them's dumb enough to leave his canteen with his name written on it. <laughs> Uh, and, and of course, Bobby Wayne finds it because it's right at their feet, and he's obviously the smart one. And uh, he, he, they know who to go to, and they go get in a fight. And, and then, uh, meanwhile, Ernest gets uh, – and later on, Ernest tricks or is used by Crater to – Wait, 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 wait. We're yada, yada and over a lot of stuff here. Yeah, yeah, let's get let's – get, yeah, let's go. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the rich kids burn down the second chance can't – Chance kids teepee. They start a big fight over it. The, the second chance kids almost get kicked out of camp. The director wants to get rid of them. Ernest pleads for them. Again, Ernest is the only one who believes in these kids. Please give them a second chance. It wasn't their fault. It was my fault. I'm a bad leader. And so Ernest goes back and tells his kids, we know, why not we just build this teepee again? Don't let anybody get you guys down. Like, you guys believe in yourself. Follow the path of the brave. Give it your best shot. And this is where we get the montage number two. Yes, yes. So he's he's like a really, really good coach. 
<laughs> yes, he's, yes. <laughs> he, he should have coached Division One college basketball. Ernest, that, that was his true calling. Well, there is an Ernest Place Hoops movie, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I'm positive there's another Ernest movie with about uh, a slam dunk Ernest. That's right, from 1995. Yeah, they made like what? 55 Ernest movies in three years? How many Ernest movies are there? Way too many. There's uh, Ernest Goes to Camp, Ernest Goes to Jail, Ernest Saves Christmas, Ernest Scared Stupid, and Ernest Rides Again. But then there were uh, some direct-to-video movies, Ernest Goes to School, Slam Dunk Ernest, Ernest Goes to Africa, and and the one that answers all the questions you have about Ernest, Ernest in the Army. That's the last (laughs) one from 1998. I'm glad they wrapped it up with a bow there at the end. Yes. Now I can't. I can't. I. I did not rifle those off uh, from memory. I am reading the Wikipedia page. Is there one in there? Ernest starts coronavirus. No, unfortunately not. Uh, although Ernest, I don't know. I don't know what happened with. Uh, what, I don't know. He didn't go to China. He didn't eat at a wet market. So I'm assuming that uh, Ernest did not start the uh, coronavirus. Ernest eats a bat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be Ernest goes batty. <laughs> yes. I'm sure I'm sure the Great Wall fell on him at that point. <laughs> Here we are doing a great injustice to the legend or the, the memory of Jim Varney by blaming him for the coronavirus. Yeah, well he's been dead for twenty one year or twenty years, so I, I I'm pretty sure he's safe from blame. <laughs> Okay, so here's the scene that really where the movie starts to get kind of sad, where the Crater Industries comes and tricks the old Indian chief into signing away the rights to the land. So how do they do that? Okay, so Ernest is, uh, well, first of all, uh, Chief St. Cloud is in his cabin doing what Chief St. Cloud does, which is, I don't know. Uh, Sudoku. Yeah, he's playing Sudoku. He's doing the uh, New York Times crossword. I don't know. uh, Something... And uh, which would be weird because he doesn't speak English, but okay. Um, <laughs> just imagine what the puzzle looks like now. He's playing Minesweeper. Yeah, he's doing something. Uh, and uh, and Mr. Crater shows up because obviously the lawyer is not getting through to him. So Mr. Crater thinks he can do it. And uh, he's trying to convince him, you know, he can make a lot of money if he goes to the land. And Mr. Crater and Chief St. Cloud doesn't really know what, what he's saying. And isn't responding. And then Ernest walks in and says, uh, using the Indian sign language, uh, saying, you know, your boat's in the water. And uh, Crater realizes, hey, there's this dimwit that I can use that understands this language. And he basically claims he's someone with an environmental group and wants a petition signed. And uh, Ernest believes him because Ernest is Ernest. And uh, he he gets him to sign it, thinking it's a petition. In fact, it's a, it's a signature to sign over the ownership of the land. Yeah, because Ernest is so dumb and he can't read, he signs over the ancient ancestral lands to Evil Co. so they can come in and take it over. So Ernest is really the catalyst who's ruined everything for everybody. Yes, he, he's, yeah, he's an agent of chaos. Yes, although that's, I don't know if people know, the alternate title for this movie is Ernest Fucks Up. <laughs> yeah well that would be the title for all of the movies but they'd have to put numbers after each of them yes I, and we uh i guess they cut out the scene where Ern, Ernest accidentally introduces smallpox to the plains nation and kills them all yeah well it was a blanket he was trying to be nice 
So yeah, so Ernest ruins this everything, and all of a sudden the camp learns, oh, it looks like old Chief St. Cloud signed over the rights to the camp, and Evil Co. is going to move in here and take it over, so we have until tomorrow to go home. And everyone's heartbroken, and Ernest knows, uh-oh, I screwed up, and so <laughs> I love this. This doesn't seem like it's fitting with Ernest's character. What is his first instinct? How is he going to go straighten this out with Crater Industries? Oh, he's going to go get in a fist fight with La Alzado. That's my first job. That's my first thought, too. I do love that Ernest's first instinct is a turn to physical violence. Yeah, because that obviously is the answer to the problem. <laughs> well, he's been hanging out with these second chance toughs. They probably were rubbing up on him. Yeah, you know, maybe he's trying to uh, trying to get uh, beat into the gang or something. <laughs> yeah, you got to you got to impress Moose or you're in trouble. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, he decides to go fight Lyle Alzado, which is never a smart move when you're earnest. And this fight is surprisingly brutal. Yeah, yeah, and it's well uh, choreographed, I, I think. Um, I, and it's it all is due to how how good of an actor Jim Varney is because he, he plays slapstick well, but he also can physically look like he's getting hurt uh, by this guy. And and Lalazado, you know, not for nothing, he he plays a big tough guy very well because that's what he was. Yeah. Now you, you pointed out Jim Varney is very good at acting, and he is. It's really cool. I mean, he really takes a very realistic beating here. Although I read in the Internet Movie Database trivia, not all of this was acting. Did you read that? No, I didn't. Lyle Alzado actually hit him too hard in one scene and broke his nose. So there's one scene at the end where you hear him hit Ernest in the face and you hear a crunch. And Jim Varney said later, that's not a special effect. That was my nose breaking. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. That's, that's, that's something new. I, I, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> not surprising either. Because, of course, Lyle Alzado is not a good actor. And uh, Jim Varney is. Yeah, and Jim Varney is not... Strong, probably. <laughs> no, if, I doubt yeah, it. if Lyle Alzado goes roid rage on you, it's going to hurt, and that's what happens. So it's a very realistic beating. As Ernest, I'm guessing probably in any of the Ernest movies, the only time he gets like physically the crap kicked out of him in a fight. Yeah, and and that's the other thing about like th that's why I like this movie more than any of the sequels is that uh, there is a sincerity to Ernest that uh, that you miss in movies like. Ernest scared stupid, mm -hmm. but in Ernest, in Ernest goes to camp, you believe that this is all this guy has. Yeah. And that's what I was getting at at the start of the podcast. There's a, there's a surprising emotion, a surprising level of emotion. In this movie, you're not expecting it kind of sneaks up at you. Cause Ernest is like a tragic figure actually. Oh yeah. And, and he clearly, he, I'm sure there's a mythological, uh, uh, underpinning to this whole thing, but I'm not smart enough to think about it, uh, to figure it out what character it is. But there, I'm sure there's a, a mythical character. You know, it's not Icarus. He didn't fly too close to the sun. But, you know, he, he definitely has a tragic uh, thing about him where he did make a mistake that he uh, and and caused a lot of chaos in his life because of it. And all he wants to do is make up for it. Yeah, it's any in Jim Varney does it, portrays it very well especially in this next scene coming up that Jeremy alluded to earlier, where Ernest has ruined the camp. He's got his butt kicked in front of the kids. The kids don't like him. Everyone makes fun of him. He's going to lose his job. He's going to lose everything that was important to him. He couldn't mold young minds. And again, I don't think this would have happened in any other Ernest movie. He starts crying and he sings a song. Yeah. Like 
he doesn't sing in any other movie. Uh, the song, I did, I, 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 the song was written by the people who wrote the movie. It's not like a real song, but it works. It's, it's a, it's another soft montage of all these kids upset. They have to leave camp. The, the second chance kids, the bullies are all upset. And, uh, and Ernest is just trying to process it through song to his, to his turtle, by the way. Yeah. Now the song is called Gee, I'm glad it's raining. And it's all about how, you know, life is, is sad right now and terrible and everything's going against him. And it's, it's played very straight. This is not a comic scene at all. In fact, I read right. also in the Internet Movie Database trivia that when Jim Varney sang this song, again, he was a very, very talented singer. He nailed this song in one take. And it was so impressive that most of the crew started crying afterwards. Gee, I'm glad it's raining. I hope the morning sun won't come up soon As long as it keeps raining No one knows my heart broke right in two I thought I had found someone I could count on till the end What they wanted was a hero all I needed was a friend. Hey, the, hey, sincerity. That, that's, all, that's the word of the day for him is that he played Ernest as sincere. He was goofy. He was an embellisher, but he was sincere. He never, he never broke character because that's who Ernest was. And, uh, and that's just, it, and it makes sense. It totally makes sense. I didn't even look at the IMDb page of this movie. <laughs> yeah, there's only a couple of things. I just remember those two, that and the nose break. But like now I never saw any Ernest movies after this because I remember they really dumbed them down even more and made them more for little kids after this. Oh, and, yeah. And it, it sounds like I'm bad mouthing it, but they made like a hundred million dollars. He like over a couple years. There was these movies were so big and so popular that he became a huge star. But I know this is the only one that's has a little more adult themes in it, I would guess. Oh, absolutely. Um. Ernest goes to jail was a little dark, but it was goofy dark. Um, there are no kids in that movie, but it's a kids movie. I know there was a little debate uh, between myself and one of your friends on Facebook about why why we picked goes to camp goes to camp versus goes to jail. Um, and and there are arguments that can be made for which movie is better. But uh, Ernest goes to camp has heart, and I don't think any of the other movies do. Maybe Ernest saves Christmas a little bit because it's a Christmas movie, but the rest of them are just goofy cartoons. And this is a, this has that Pixar quality where it can, in one hand, make you laugh, but also punch you in the gut for half a second before you go back to laughing again. Um, and that's really what that whole scene was, where he is in the in the nurse's office saying, "This this place and this camp, these kids, uh, mean everything to me." And then he goes into the song. That's real. That's the gut punch of the movie. But then everything else is just fun and silly. Yeah. And I think that's what I remember. Cause I, I saw this in the theater in 1987 when it came out. And again, I haven't seen it in 30 years. So I don't remember specifics, but I do remember coming out of it thinking that was not what I expected to see in an earnest movie. It's a little deeper than you expect it to be, which I know is silly to say about this, a movie like this, but yeah, oh, of course, yeah, this whole little stretch, I'm like, that is not what I would have expected to see out of an Ernest movie, and that's why I think it's very impressive. And I'm really glad you brought it up for staff picks because it is kind of special in that way. Uh, yeah, totally. 
Okay, so we'll get to the end of the movie here where Ernest has had his little breakdown and he's crying and the nurse goes back to the camp and all the second chance kids are making fun of Ernest saying he's a loser. You know, he's so stupid he never could figure anything out. And the nurse scolds them. She's like, you know, you guys, he's the only one here who has believed in you, has stuck up for you, who inspires you. Like, I think you guys maybe want to step back and look at this a little different. He's the only one who's cared about you and he's your friend and you treat him like this. And again, that's not a speech you'd expect to see in this movie. Oh, not at all. And it's it's sort of – it's good for kids because kids don't – sometimes don't see the people that uh, that are in charge of them or that do inspire them until someone points it out because they're kids. They don't realize that. Um, and it was kind of a good – it's a good moment for that particular part of the movie because um, it points out what these kids need to know to move them forward in the plot because the kids aren't going to sit in there while Lyle Azedo plows over the, the building with a bulldozer. Mm-hmm. So it, it's sort of it, – it's it's important because where are we going to – how are we going to get to where we're going without someone inspiring them because Ernest isn't in a mood to inspire anybody anymore. Yeah, he's kind of broken now. Right, and, and the, the main female character – which is really weird because she's the only female character, but she she comes in and she inspires them. But later on, uh, she sort of betrays what she says. <laughs> oh, no, another plot, the plot hole you found a little bit, a little bit. But they had to they had to have something. OK, yeah. So the kids are going to go to Ernest and they're going to say, hey, let's stop those that evil co those bulldozers. And Ernest's like, no, we tried and nothing worked. And they're like. Come on, Ernest, like you inspired us. We're going to inspire you. We can still do it. We don't want to go back to our group home. We want to stay here. So they inspire Ernest and they say, the path of the brave. Remember, the weapons can't hurt us. We'll be strong. No one can stop us. And so they basically decide to build a war machine and stop the bulldozers. And this is where we get the A-team montage. Oh, it's great. <laughs> they, they, they tear the top off a bus. Uh, they build a catapult out of, a, I think, a bathtub. Uh, they they turn lanterns into uh, into flying torpedoes, uh, a whole bunch of stuff. And they raid the camp because these are juvenile delinquents. They know how to break in and steal all the supplies, like the explosives. Yeah, yeah. See, they yeah. So they're using their uh, their powers of evil for good. <laughs> yes. Even Moose takes a break, the little six year old, from murdering people viciously to help out. Here. Yes. Well, you know, maybe they gave him made a deal. You know, you can kill this guy. Maybe, maybe he snuck up behind a guy with a garrote just for fun. <laughs> yes. They had to cut that out of the Disney movie, the garrote scene. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> so, and then the, even, but it's kind of heartwarming because even the rich kids from the camp who have been picking on the second chance kids decide to team up with them. They're all teaming up because they're all kick a key campers. And it's kind of a neat moment that everyone's joining forces here. Yeah, it's it's uh, we're all in this together, even though we uh, we may not see eye to eye. That's it's, that was an important uh, moment. <laughs> it was so. <laughs> so here comes the big war scene at the end. All the campers gearing up to stop the bulldozers from coming in and leveling their camp. And even old Chief Saint Cloud is there, you know, do, being a horrible role model by inspiring these, helping these kids wage warfare by giving them war paint on their face. Yes, and it, and his granddaughter runs up and says, "You can't do this." Three minutes after she tells them they have to fight, uh, she she comes and says, you can't do this. And he's singing a song and painting all the kids up. The kids are looking all stoic, uh, ready to go to war. Uh, and his granddaughter's like, fine, I'm going to go see if I can do this the right way. And she leaves because obviously she can't be a part of the carnage. 
ensue. She wants to fight them through legal channels. That's Jeremy. I think that's the yes. key there. She's smart. Yeah, she is smart. She's the smartest person on the on the in the movie. You are correct. Well, meanwhile, the rest of the camp has turned into Red Dawn here. <laughs> the kids are going to fight the bulldozers to the death. Wolverines! Yes, uh, and they even get the cooks involved because the liver loafer ranger shows up and they start shooting gross food at people, which clearly does not hurt anybody. It just grosses them out. <laughs> Okay, so let's sum up this war. Again, it's like Home Alone. It's kind of slapsticky, but there is some actual violence here where the kids are launching. Uh, they have a catapult. They're launching an exploding toilet at one point. Although I should point out right before they launch the toilet, Ernest looks into it again and then right to the camera and says, ew. Yes. <laughs> Had to get one more in. Now, that that was a legitimately funny moment. I laughed at that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what else are they shooting at the, the, the miners, like uh, tennis balls and stuff? Yeah, say uh, they have uh, Chief St. Cloud on a tennis ball uh, launcher shooting tennis balls at them. Uh, they do. Uh, they have uh, arrows that they light on fire. They throw smoke bombs at them. At one point, they put a bunch of turtles with little parachutes attached to them into the bathtub. And uh, they're turtle paratroopers. And when they shoot them in, apparently, I don't know how the parachutes deploy, but they do. <laughs> And they all fall down and bite everybody. And meanwhile, while that happens, they're playing a uh, a uh, an instrumental version of <laughs> "So Happy Together" by the Turtles. So a little on the nose there, but yeah. So and you see these guys are getting bit on the lip and on the ears and everywhere. But the, turtle, uh, the snapping by turtles, snapping turtles. Yes, yes. Yeah, and like. And the kids are blowing stuff up with the explosives and shooting flaming arrows into the explosive like it's massive carnage. Oh, yeah, it's totally an A-team scene. Absolutely. And this, my friend, is why they were in the Second Chance Reformatory, because they can do this stuff. Right. And you know what? They were they were uh, they, they were probably accused of a crime they didn't do. And uh, and now when you need help, you know who to call. You can call the, the Camp Kikaki kids. Yes, and uh, Moose is going to shave his hair like uh, Mr. T. Uh, <laughs> Eat your greens. He doesn't want to get in no plane. Uh, <laughs> but then uh, eventually he gets uh, – Lyle Zato is, is obviously impervious to all of this. He gets into a, uh, into a uh, bulldozer and is taking buildings down. So they load up the uh, Cushman, which miraculously stops in front of them with a bunch of explosives and then, of course, eggs erroneous. And they blow up the bulldozer uh, enough to uh, blind Lyle Zato. And uh, I love that we don't even know his character's name. We just call him Lyle Zato. <laughs> and Ernest gets his revenge. He, he, he gets to walk up and uh, knock him out as he stumbles because he's already been assaulted by this uh, small terrorist group. <laughs> Yeah, I love the the scene Jeremy's talking about. Lyle Alzado's the bad guys in a bulldozer. They launch a the golf cart or whatever filled with explosives. They try to murder this guy. Like there's an attempted murder in this movie. Yes, well that's not the first one. Uh, there's there's multiple. I mean I'm sure we could have a lawyer comb through this scene and just count all of the uh, laws being broken. But uh, yeah, there this is definitely an attempted murder. And uh, then they're followed up by an assault, a felonious assault. Ernest punches out Lyle Alzado, and it's a very realistic-looking punch. Like, this is not comic. This is this is almost straight-up drama, some of these scenes. Like, it's very realistic, the violence here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and knocks him flat out, which is really great because he gets his revenge. 
<laughs> okay, so now we get the last scene of the movie, and this one is this one I actually really like because it ties in the little path of the brave or whatever the ritual is, where yes. the bad guy, Mr. Crater, learns all his equipment has been destroyed and he's not gonna be able to take over the camp. So he comes over with his rifle and he's going to shoot Ernest. And this is not played comedically. This is played very straight. And this is where we learn, again, if it's the when the, the chief would throw the weapons at the little Indian brave, if the Indian was brave, nothing would hit him. He's impervious to weapons. And Ernest is going to learn that right now because the bullets will miss him. Yes, he, the bullets miss him three times. And then he walks up and does the Looney Tunes thing where he sticks his finger into Crater's, the barrel of Crater's gun, which has to be somewhat warm after firing three shots. <laughs> But he does it anyway. He puts his finger in him and does the uh, uh, like a Woody Woodpecker laugh. <laughs> and he just drops the gun. The guy Crater just drops the gun. He has no idea what to do. Yeah, the guy has three close-up shots with a rifle to Ernest, which is way more violence you're going to see in most than you're going to see in most Ernest movies. He misses, and like as Ernest realizes these bullets are missing, he realizes he's following the path of the brave. He's fighting for the land. He's fighting for the noble. And he, Jim Varney gets this wonderful little look on his face, this cocky little grin. Yes. Like, this is legitimately funny. This is, most comedians just wouldn't be this funny where he just does this little, <laughs> he's so cocky, like takes off his shirt, shoot me. And it's like, it's legitimately funny for a movie, for even, I mean, even a silly movie like this, this is a legitimately funny scene. Oh, yeah. Because, like I said, he has that face of rubber that he can just kind of contort into different shapes, <laughs> unlike uh, most people. And it just make his face makes you laugh. Because he does goofy things with his face, and that smirk is one of those goofy things. And really, I think that's pretty much the end of the movie. The uh, the bad guys drop the gun. All the bulldozers have been destroyed. They're not going to bulldoze the camp. And in a miraculous, you know, uh, <laughs> plot con contrivance here, the the nurse drives up with a restraining order. A judge has just signed sometime in the last six minutes, apparently. Yes. And they could they literally could have ended the movie with like uh, a still shot of them all high fiving like every, uh, you know, 80s sitcom where someone finally wins. They have a high five moment. Uh, yeah. So she somehow gets a restraining order in like the matter of a couple of hours. <laughs> yes, because if there's one thing Native Americans are known for, it's obtaining swift justice in the legal system. Yes. Uh, I do wonder if she uh, once once her uh, grandfather died, whether she turned Camp Kikigi into a very, very uh, successful casino. Um, <laughs> yes. Ernest plays craps. Yes. <laughs> er, uh, okay. Ernest, I, there's got to be a better game than craps. Not for Ernest. <laughs> Not for, I could see him tossing dice. I mean, they already had the, uh, they already had the, the poker game, so... And okay, and, and really that's yeah, that's the end of the movie that the camp has been saved and the second chance kids have been the heroes, they're the heroic ones who saved the camp, and now they'll get to live there year round, which I don't remember a summer camp I went to summer camp every summer. I don't remember them letting troubled youths live there year round, but okay, I guess in this world we do that. I don't remember anybody living at camp year round. I mean that just seems ridiculous, but it's an earnest movie, so of course it's gonna be ridiculous. Of course that's a realistic thing for an in the world of Ernest, where kids can live at camp year-round. They don't have to go to school, apparently. Maybe they're quarantining from the coronavirus. We don't know. They're socially distancing themselves. You can't let Moose in with the general population. He'd kill, like, 100 kids at a public school. Of course. I mean, he's, he's adept with a knife and a garrote. We've just discovered that tonight. <laughs>
So, so yeah, that's the end of the movie, and all the campers are high-fying and cheering, and there are they're singing "Happy Together" by the Turtles once again. And I, of course, it's a camp theme song. Yeah, but I read I read in the IMDb trivia page at one point at the end of the movie, someone turns around and smiles at the camera, and it's supposed to be a kid, but you can tell it's actually like an adult in a wig. <laughs> and this is this is the stupidest inside joke ever. If you look close, that's the lead singer of the Turtles from the '60s making a cameo. Oh my God! I gotta look now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna treat that like there's a brooder film. I'm gonna watch that back and to the left and try to find it so I can get a screen cap now. No one, I guarantee nobody has ever caught that joke or cared over the years, but it's in there apparently. Not many people care about inside jokes and Ernest goes to camp. There's a very small population. There's probably dozens of us, dozens, <laughs> just like, just like never yeah, nudes. You're the never nudes of the movie world. <laughs> yes. And with that, we wrap up the first movie in the Ernest oeuvre, The Ernest Goes to Camp, which, uh, again, it's not a bad movie for what it is. And it's got some special things in it. And really, really more than anything, it's just an opportunity to appreciate Jim Barney for what he did. And in my opinion, like, they really made his movies very juvenile after this. This one, you know, there's juvenile moments, but it's got some really nice depth and heart to it. And I really think... If you know, if you want to respect and appreciate Jim Varney, this is a good movie to track down and rewatch one day, just to be reminded how good he was. Yeah, it deserves a far more, uh, far wider uh, release. I, I just don't understand. I'm not sure why uh, Disney hasn't put it on Disney Plus. Maybe it's a rights thing with uh, the music or with Happy Together. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe it's something with uh, Ernest, with Jim Varney's family. Maybe there's a, a money issue there. I don't know, but there's not anywhere, and hopefully, the hopefully it'll find its way uh, to streaming services and uh, even a re-release on DVD. I mean, we're hitting the uh, we're, we've already passed the we're we're almost to the 25th anniversary. Maybe they'll do that, but no one cares. I'm sure no one's. Gonna- Are we 25? Is it 20? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, gar- yeah, I'm guessing there will. Yeah, I'm guessing there will not be a big retrospective for Ernest Goes to Camp in a couple of years. Criterion Collection version of Ernest Goes to Camp. <laughs> <laughs> I, again, we're make, we're making fun of it, but I I hold a special place in my heart for this movie just because I remember seeing it and I remember thinking that wasn't what I expected. And it's like it's not a masterpiece, but you even look on Wikipedia and they said it has like a 67% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Like even at the time when it came out, most people thought it was actually pretty good for what it could have been. So it's like it's a it's a fun little time capsule of a neat uh, period in movie history, the Ernest movies. <laughs> totally, totally. I can't believe I just called the Ernest movies a neat period in history. Hey, I, I, hey I, I use the word gravitas to describe Jim Varney and Ernest, so I guess we're both doing new things tonight, Mario. <laughs> yeah, and then we compared it to Full Metal Jacket and Red Dawn. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we, we've done some interesting things. It's... <laughs> <laughs> well, as I, well, again, yeah, I'm just really glad you brought this movie to my attention. You said you watch it all the time, like yearly? At least once a year. It's kind of like uh, if we do a uh, summertime movie, it's raining, and we just want to just hang out on the couch, me and my kids and my wife, which is kind of, we just pop it in and we'll watch it and just laugh. And we all know what's coming. It's goofy. It doesn't challenge our thought processes very much. And, and we know it's silly, but it's a fun movie to watch with the family. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's, that's one of the biggest compliments you can give to a family movie that it's perfectly fun to watch with your family. It's not too stupid for anyone, too smart for anyone. It's kind of right there in the sweet spot. And this is one of the better ones of that era I can think of. Totally agree. Totally agree. 
All right, Jeremy, I just want to thank you for joining me. It was nice to finally meet you. And, and thank you for making sure I watched this for the first time in almost 30 years because I would have completely forgotten about it. Hey, I, I was honored to be invited, and I'm glad we, we made you laugh. And again, everyone, thanks for listening. Again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. Until next time, I'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.